Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And with us this week, sitting in for Trisha Bobita, we have a very special guest host, Jen White. Welcome. Hello. I am so excited that you are here with us today. I'm so excited to be here. So a lot of you may know Jen White as the host of our Making podcast here on WBEZ. We've got Making Oprah and Making Obama. These are both super awesome stories about amazing Chicago humans. Whose names start with O. Whose names start with O. Yeah, so who are you going to do next? Have you thought about it? Oh, we've got ideas. No, I have no idea. (laughs) Not a clue. Not a clue. And Jen, you are also like a legit nerd in your own right. I am. I'm I'm a huge nerd. I grew up reading uh, science fiction and fantasy pretty voraciously. My older siblings were into it, and so they passed it down yes. to me. And so I was like, this is a little embarrassing. I, <laughs> Go I, on. I was the kid sitting in my room reading, you know... I don't know, Piers Anthony and listening to Andreas Vollenweider. Wow. You know, like soundtracking my reading experience. (laughs) This was the soundtrack to like my reading. I live in the land of Xanth, which is distinct from Mundania, and that there is magic in Xanth and none in Mundania. Everyone in Xanth has his own magic talent. No two are the same. But in Mundania... No one does magic, so it's very dull. Woo! That yeah, is intense. It was, pretty, it was pretty, it was intense. <laughs> I was an intense little kid. That's a really good nerdery. <laughs> okay, so now that Jen's nerd credentials are established, Nerdette is a show where we talk to people about their obsessions. People who are scientists and poets, astronauts and adventurers, people who dare to ask big questions and explore the unknown. Now, our guest this week is only 24, but she's built a big part of her life's work around ideas of representation and magic and fighting injustice through YA fantasy. Yes, we are talking about Tomi Adeyemi. She's the author of Children of Blood and Bone. It is the first book in what is guaranteed to be an excellent trilogy, and it's already optioned to, into a movie, which means we get to see it in the big screen, yes. which is extra exciting. Movie options. <laughs> Tommy Adiemi, welcome to Nerdette. Thank you for having me. It's really fun. We are super excited to have you here. <laughs> okay. Like, I'm just taking a moment though yep, because yep. I'm I'm totally fangirling out and <laughs> it makes me really happy to have this experience. Yes. But tell us about Children of Blood and Bone for people who are just um, hearing about you and hearing yeah. about this book. Explain the basic premise of the yeah, book. Yeah, so Children of Blood and Bone is basically Black Panther with magic. So we're <laughs> Black Panther <laughs> was like this um, like sci-fi reimagining of Africa. This is uh, sort of a historical magical reimagining for 
anyone who loves epic quests, like any epic quest, yep. you know, say for whether it's Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter or the Hunger Games, like anyone who loves epic adventures, this is that for them, but in a completely new setting. So the setting is an analog West African society. They're wearing dashikis and geles. The magic system is based off the Orisha, which is like an African mythology and religion that disseminated throughout the world with the slave trade. So it was really cool to be able to build this entire world and magic system off of a part of my heritage that I didn't know about because I got to discover it. So that's what I'm that's one of the things I'm really excited about, like seeing people be excited about the magic, figure out what clan they're in and being like, oh, my God. So So, so the book is being released at a time when, you know, Black Panther has become this global phenomenon. You have black folks, you know, just randomly greeting each other with, you know, what kind of ever (laughs) (laughs) on the street. Yeah. But talk about when you started writing this book and and what got you on that path. Okay, so I started writing this book in June of 2016 is when I opened like the blank page for the first draft. And leading up to that, this book was an intersection of like a bunch of different things in my life. So I had been working at a job I did not like. And so at night, like from I got off at six. So from like six to 10, six to 11, six to midnight, I was working really hard on my first book. And I was like, I was desperate for the first book to kind of take me. I wanted someone to, you know, kind of take and be like, hey, you can actually do this during the day, too. Like you have something. (laughs) And of course, no one will ever like say that. But that's what I was hoping for. So every time it got close to being accepted, you know, I was on cloud nine. Every time it was rejected, I like plummeted. You know, it was like really emotionally unstable. But what that forced me to do was realize like, hey, you're not just you want to be a writer. You can't pretend that you just want to do this for fun, like from this a career. Is it. Yeah, I knew. I was like, you you know this is what you want to do and you can't hide about it. You can't lie about it because I lied to myself about it for basically the like the vast majority of my life. Because, Why? Because I think, I think this is the thing that humans just tend to do, that you, you see what you want and you don't want to say that out loud because once you say that out loud – Either A, you have to go, you have to go for it, and that's really scary. Or B, you have to live your life knowing you're not going for it, Oof. which is really kind of like soul crushing. So it's like if as long as you lie about, if you're like, oh, you don't know what you want, or actually you want this thing, which you know you can like attain, which you know is safe and stable, then you're like, okay, you're doing good, you're happy, you're filled. But it, sooner or later, the truth comes out. Then you have to decide, am I going to ignore it, or am I just going to go for it? So that was. Definitely one avenue for the book. Um, But also 2016 was a really, I don't want to say a horrible year for police brutality because it's not like it started, though. Yeah, Like that makes it seem like it just started. I think it was we were seeing a little bit of the extent to how bad police brutality was um, and how bad racism still was and I don't say that from you know there you no black person will be like oh racism ended you know no no one ever thought it was that far but I think we were at least a a portion of us was under the belief that like things like lynchings you know like that Mm -hmm. same terror of because you were black you were going to die I think we thought like okay we're we're past that we still have a lot of things. We still have mass incarceration. You know, we still have, like, wage inequality. We knew we had a lot of problems, but I think we didn't – I, I know I didn't think I could die for the color of my skin anymore, at least not here, or at least not by police officers, you know, because with it started for me in, like, uh, when I was a freshman 
um, in college with the Trayvon Martin case. And that was a big awakening, but that was still a civilian. And like in the back of our heads, we still knew like some kind of crazy civilian could act out like that. Mm -hmm. But then it started becoming police officers. And then six like months after that, it started becoming, oh, also the police officers who are doing these things are getting paid leave and they're not being found guilty. So then it was like, oh, this is this is as like systematic as it was 30, 50 years ago. So I think that was hard for a lot of people. It was really hard for me. Um, And I was kind of in this dark a dark pl- like I felt I didn't I was like why are we doing anything I was like why am I going to do anything if like I could wake up at any day and find out that my dad or my brother is the next hashtag um and then it happened to Sandra Bland and I'm like cool so me and my mother and my si- you know it's like mm-hmm. no one is safe no one is safe and I was like why are we doing anything at all if this is how it ends or how it could end and I really wanted um I guess I I didn't want to. I needed to work through that because, it you know, it's a very dark place to be in and a really bad place to be living in. Um, And this book became an avenue for that. And so it originally I knew I wanted to write some kind of story to talk about what the modern black experience. Um, And I also knew I wanted to write like this fantasy because I love fantasy and I like once I saw the Arisha, once I saw this other picture, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm seeing it. There's going to be giant lions. Oh, this is sick. Um, and I remember I was talking to my boyfriend. And I was like, yeah, I'm seeing this big fantasy. But like this is what's in my heart. And and I was like, I don't know which book to like work on first. And he's just like, I think they're the same book. And I was like, oh, so <laughs> that is the kind of smashed together for Children of Blood and Bones. So we have like it is. A story it is an adventure, but the adventure that they're going through parallels the modern black experience in in ways because there's some there's some minor obstacles, minor confrontations, and then there's some big like yeah, there's some fantasy huge, battles. Yeah. But even the really big fantasy battles have like real world ties or at least real world like commentaries. So that um, there's an author's note at the back, and it's like okay, I know we just went on the adventure. I know you just felt all these things, but take a step back because if you feel this for Zaylee, then you need to feel this for this person. And if you feel this for like this character, you need to feel it for this person because it's actually, I I was getting asked in interviews, not this week, but like two weeks ago, they're like, it's so violent. And I was like, do you want to see the stuff it's based off of? Because I was Mm -hmm. like, there's videos for a lot of it and it's much worse than what I'm putting in this book. So it's, it's supposed to make you think it's supposed to make you feel and it's supposed to make you think. So you mentioned Zaylee. She's our protagonist. Mm. A writer from Vulture, Lila Shapiro, wrote that Zaylee is not the first black heroine of a young adult fantasy series, but she is on track to become by far the most famous. Mm. I wonder what is it like for you (laughs) to sit with like such insanely high, amazing expectations? Like, is that terrifying? See, the funny thing is, so it's like I am like my parents immigrated from Nigeria. Uh, which means I, th- I think the best way I can describe this is like we found this note that I think I wrote in like the second or third grade. It's like really like big bubbly handwriting. And it's like, dear mom and dad, I'm sorry I got to be. I know I can do better. I will try harder. Yep. Tony. And like I find it, and my mom sends it like lol. And I'm like, oh, my God, mom, like the young Tony is traumatized. And she's just like, you're fine. Look where you ended up. You're fine. So, so you're off. used to walking off. Yeah, it's like walking off. off, which is really for me. That's the perfect antidote for like, yeah, I have been raised to put way more pressure on myself than anyone could ever put on me. I think, though. 
knowing how big it could be, yeah, that was like I was always going to write the best book possible, but that provided the extra like everything has to be right and everything has to be solid, especially knowing that, you know, it's like I'm a black woman. So for me, already every word had to be perfect, but I also had to really think about like every single part of the book in in all the possible interpretations of things, all the possible commentaries on things cuz that's the other thing too when you're writing about something that is really tied into the real world, you have to be really intentional about what whether it's like a, a certain magic that you use or say, you know, like really little details where you're like, you know what, someone could interpret it like that. And are you OK with that? Like for me, everything in the book had to be I've thought about this a hundred different ways and I decided it for this reason, because it, that doesn't stop anyone from coming at you. But no one's going to surprise you right? and be like, why is this there? You're like, well, <laughs> this is why this is there. <laughs> I think my favorite thing about what we just heard is Tomi talking about growing up the child of immigrants mm-hmm. and the idea of super high expectations. Yeah. While my parents weren't immigrants, my dad, like we had a saying in our household that was bees are issues because it's not cool to get bees. Oh, for a second, a I was imagining household. the insect. Like actual bee? bee? And I was bees? Like, yes. Well, if you're allergic, <laughs> definitely problematic. No, I mean like at 85 oh, percentile. Right. For my for my parents, the saying was, to whom much is given, much is required, Ooh. which drove me crazy for years because I was like, I didn't ask for it. I didn't ask for any of it. Take it back if you're going to require so much of me. Take it back. Oh, that's amazing. But here you are, Jen. You I did am. it. Under that goal achieved. Now coming up, Tomi tells us why certain reactions to the Hunger Games movie helped her realize she had to publish a book. Yes, The Hunger Games isn't real, but like the fact that someone could feel that strongly and that much hatred for something that isn't even real. Mm-hmm. I'm like, if that's what you feel for fake things, then what do you feel about me? Mm. You are listening to Nerdette. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Right now I'm thinking about other black women who are writing fantasy, people like Nettie Okorafor and N.K. Jemisin. And I've talked to both of them, mm-hmm. and and we we've talked about you know how this shift in representation in this genre, how there has been positive reception for it, but yeah. there's also been a lot of pushback. Yeah, and I'm I want want you to talk about your experience around those reactions. Yeah. So for me, the pushback wasn't with this book; it was in other stories. So where I was just a part of the stories as a fan or as a reader. So really my whole writing kind of – I've been writing my whole life, but my whole 
my first I need to publish a book came after the Hunger Games because there were people online being like, oh, why'd they make Rue and Cinna black? Why'd they make all the good characters black? It wasn't sad when Rue was speared to death because she was black. Like, all these really horrible things, but it was, like, also in the light. You know, I was like, that's your name. I was like, that is your name and that is your picture. Like, you were just saying this. Um, And you don't seem afraid. So you're really, I was like, you're really okay with, like, this level of racism. And also seeing that level of racism applied in a fictional world, like, heightened it for me. Because, yes, The Hunger Games isn't real, but, like, the fact that someone could feel that strongly and that much hatred for something that isn't even real. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if that's what you feel for fake things, then what do you feel about me? Mm. So it was a really scary, it was really scary. And I was also really angry. And I was like, well... (laughs) You know what? Well, get ready because the next thing. Well, literally, it's funny even thinking about this like now because Black Panther is like about to gross a billion dollars. And my whole thing back then was, you know, I'm going to make something so good and so black that even racist has to see it because then they don't want to miss out. I was like, I will get you back eventually. But... It was also with Hermione Granger with the Harry Potter oh, and the Cursed yeah. Child. And they're like, totally. Hermione can't be black. Oh. And people are like, so we got dragons. We got <laughs> like giants. We got invisibility cloaks. We got horcruxes. <laughs> but a black witch? <laughs> what? You are the worst. You know? Oh. But, and in one, on one hand, I'm like, come on. But on the other hand, I'm like, you know what? You've never seen it. Me, I'm inspired when I, the whole reason this came is because I saw depictions of magical black people for the first time. Wait, can can we talk about that for a second? Yeah, Because I am an avid (laughs) fantasy sci-fi reader. I also have about 20 years on you. Yeah. (laughs) And so dating myself, don't care. Um, But when I was growing up and, and, and reading these books, there were not representations of me. Um, and, and I was sharing with Greta, like I remember when I was probably in the fourth or fifth grade, I was doing this big sketch of a princess Yeah, and, 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 you know, in profile and my dad came in who was a really great artist and he looked at her, he said, baby, why did you make her nose like that? Yeah. 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 That's not, that's not a black nose. And he came in with the eraser and came in and, and fixed my, my sketch. Yeah. And I went in the bathroom and I wept. Wow. I wept because I said to myself, like a princess can't be black. Yeah. The story works. Uh, You've had a different experience. The funny thing is I had a different thing, but came to the, well, I have two very similar things. Mm. So my first, my, oh, a princess can't be black came at Halloween in elementary school Mm. because, you know, all my friends were like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be Belle because I have brown hair. I'm going to be Ariel because I have red hair. I'm going to be Cinderella because I'm blonde. And I was like, okay, well, there's no black princess, so I can't be a princess. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's just a thing, you know, you, you just internalize it. You don't think about what it means, but like you, you're building the rest of your life, like with this, with this idea that black people can't be, can't be basically great or can't be, you know, because what a princess to a young girl is just like, oh, you're sparkly, you're beautiful, you're powerful, you're mm-hmm. kind, you're intelligent. And so, yeah, I didn't say black people can't be beautiful, black people can't be kind. But I said, oh, I can't be a princess. I'm black. I can't be a princess. So I'd, you know, I'm building my self-esteem on all of these lies so early. And for me, it was with my writing where my all my protagonists were white and biracial. And no, I didn't show anyone my writing till I was like 21. So no one knew about this. 
um, I realized it when I was 18 that I was like, oh, that's not okay. So that, what, what caused that shift in your thinking? I had to write. I was in uh, speech and debate. And it was original oratory my senior year, so you had to write a speech. So my coach was like, think of things that you that you do that no one else does. So I was like brainstorming and I was like, okay, well, I write and no one else writes. And I was like, but what's the story about that? And somehow through that reflection process, I was just like, oh, I was like, all of my stories are basically only white people. And if melanin isn't in there, it's biracial because that's what I was taught where it's like, oh, you can be black if you are also white, but you can't just be black. So it's like, here I am. That's why part of me like gets upset when people say, there can't be a black Hermione. But I was like, even me, I was like, there can't be. I'm writing bad stories with dragons and forest mm-hmm. and all this stuff, but I, I, didn't, I couldn't imagine someone black in it. And so then I was like, so how are you supposed to do that when I can't do that? And so when I was 18, I realized like, okay, that's that's pretty messed up. You need to start working on that and start working on clearly all of these issues that you have that you didn't realize that you had because like over a decade of writing stories. And the thing is, too, when I wrote stories, these were adventures that I wanted to have. Yeah. So I knew I was writing what I wanted to be. So by writing white per- and biracial protagonists, I wanted to be white. And by, you know, so I mm. it wasn't just like a self-esteem thing. Like I knew what it meant that I had been. Do- I didn't realize it for so long. But once I realized I was like, I know why you're doing this. And that's obviously not OK. So you got to you got to fix this. So for me, it's it's I guess the the pushback on representation and all of these things hasn't happened for me in this book yet. I'm sure it, it'll come, but this to me was my pushback against that. So I was like, here's all these, all like all these lies that I believed, all these, all these people who say this can't happen where it's like, well, I'm going to give you, and I didn't know like Black Panther was coming, you know? Right, so right. for me, I was like, but I am going to prove you wrong. And this is going to be one of the most magical stories you've ever read. It's going to be one of the most epic stories you've ever read. And it's going to be all black people. And and there's going to be no room for confusion. So I was like, you're not going to see the movie in three years and be like, what? I thought <laughs> Daly had blonde hair. You know? Scarlett Johansson is Yeah, Daly. exactly. What? Exactly. <laughs> I was like, no, no, no. We're going to make it very clear. Um, so, you know, from the get go, like what it is you're signing up for and what it is that even though you don't like it, you don't want to miss out on. Well, and can you talk a little bit, too, about how West African mythology plays into all yeah. of that for you, too? Like, how when did you come across that along this journey? Yeah, so I, um, after college, through the English department, I got a fellowship to go to Brazil. And so I was there um, for part of the summer with with the in, – my intention for going to Brazil was, like, oh, I'm going to study their – their slave trade because Brazil has a really interesting, basically the only parallel to the United States. Um, I think they brought like 10 times more slaves over than we did, but it's, it's the only two societies that like had that, I guess, I don't, I don't know the word for it, but just the collection of people. And so seeing how those, how like racism developed in both of them, but how also identity, you know, like Mm -hmm. there's, it's really interesting things where it's like, we have a solid African American identity because in America, People were, like, separate. Um, in Brazil, they weren't as distinct. So, like, Afro-Brazilian identity has just begun to emerge because it wasn't so, like, you know. So it's just an interesting yeah. parallel. And I thought there was some kind of Toni Morrison-esque story there that I'm definitely not qualified to write. But I was like, <laughs> but go find out that you can't write it, you know. So <laughs> I had gone and the the, like, 
basically the focal point of my whole trip there was this museum and it was closed for renovations. And I got there and I was like, wait, what do you mean I can't go? I was like, this is literally why I am in your country. Like, and it wasn't in like Rio or Sao Paulo, you know, it was in like Salvador, Brazil. So it's like, no, I I came to your country and this town to go to this museum. And they were like, Sorry. I live here now. Yeah. So it was just, it was, I was like, okay, well, that's a bust. And how are we going to spin this? And all these other things. And I, I don't know if it was that day or like the day after, but I ended up, it was raining and I ended up in a gift shop and the gift shop owner was kicking out people who were just there to avoid the rain and I was like I can't go in the rain I don't want to get my hair wet my hair wasn't like this yet so I was just like I need to stay in here so it's like eyes wide you know I have pretty big eyes so it's like <laughs> you can fake this let's go um, so I'm looking around with big eyes and I, then I saw this poster of the Orisha and I was like you know that was it was a like I don't know, I don't know like MRI images where you see like the brain lighting up or something, mm. but I was like, what is this? Because it was nine of them and they didn't have faces, but they had these like amazing outfits and like I could see the magic in and I was like, oh, this one has some kind of water power, this one has some kind of firepower. And they just looked so majestic and sacred and they were so dark. And I was just like, what is this? And that's when I discovered the Arisha and I was actually talking to my parents about it. And I was like, do you know what this is? I, I said it definitely. I still said They're like, you have to go, Orisha. And I was like, if I do that every time I say it, there's going to be problems. So I was like, we're going to – I was like, my fellow Nigerians, I'm, I apologize. <laughs> live on the air. Or I guess not live, whatever. Um, but they were like, you are not saying it um, right. And But they're like, yeah, we know about this. And I was like, why didn't you ever tell me? And they're like, well, we didn't tell you about, like, Islam. You know, it's just, it was just sure. like, yeah, there's like, we're not going to, we didn't sit you down and be like, here's all the things. Yeah, you know? there's a lot of different ones. Yeah, there's like a lot of different things. And I was just like, whoa. But it was really cool because I'm like, wait, this is a part of, this isn't just This some, is yours. It's one of those things where I went, like, across the world to discover something in my own backyard. And I was like, oh, this is actually my, so I knew, I knew I wanted to do something with it. But I only had the, the world at the time. I didn't have like the actual, I didn't have story ideas that were like, ooh, I want to go there with that. And I was also still working on my first book and I'd put in like three and a half years at that point. So I was like, it doesn't make sense to just pivot right now. We'll wait. Um, but eight months down the line, when my first book was getting rejected enough for me to know it wasn't going anywhere, I saw another illustration of this um, black girl with luminescent green hair. And it was so beautiful and she was so captivating and like it was one of those things where I was like, oh, my God. And I made it like my phone screensaver. Like I was so in love with this random photo I found on Pinterest and I was just starting to imagine like, God, I wish there was an animated series about her. Like I want to know what her life is like. I want to know what she does every day. And it was it was a, a picture that lended itself more to sci-fi, but just imagining that, I was like, okay, well, what if she was like a fisherman or a fisherman's daughter? And, you know, what if she had to go to a market to trade? And then what what if this girl ran up to her and was like, you got to get me out of here? And I was I was talking to my boyfriend on the phone. I was like, is that a good, like, I, is that interesting? And he goes, I think so. And I was like, okay, let's go with it. So he's, it, I, I like this dude. Yeah, he, yeah he's a good dude. <laughs> yeah. He's a good dude. He earned a dedication because <laughs> he's... Yeah, very. It was very instrumental in being like, "Hey, go for this. Don't be so scared." Um, but yeah, so it's 
But the funny thing is, it was me seeing magical images of black people for the first time that allowed my imagination to go there, which is why the part of me, even a bigger part of me understands when people are like, Hermione can't be black. Yeah. You know, because it's like, even me, I needed to see it to go there. So that's another thing I'm excited about with this book is like, it'll give a lot of people the chance to see it and go there and then go even farther. Before we let you go, um, I have a niece. She's close to your age, and she's working on her own fantasy novel. I mean, for young writers who are writing in this genre, or really any any Mm -hmm. genre, what advice do you give them? So the first advice I would say is definitely... I don't want to say you should be in your stories because it's not about like you should be writing issue books or something like that. But like if you are, if you, I was like, if you are gay and you, oh, and your whole story only has straight people, like check that, you know, if you are Asian and your whole story only has white. And the reason I say that is just because I've seen, I've seen that I've now that I've talked about it more, I've seen that pattern with a lot of marginalized authors that we started out erasing ourselves. So I, the first thing would be like, just do a check and make sure you're not doing that. It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't have to be about your experience. But just make sure you're there because you deserve to be there no matter what you're, what it is you're doing. Um, the second thing I would say is just write, write, write. Um, you only – writing books happen from revision, not from the first draft. And you're only going to – like my – I thought my first book was a failure because it took me almost four years and it went nowhere. Um, I didn't realize I taught myself everything I needed to know about writing. If I didn't have my first book, we wouldn't be sitting here now with my second book. So you have to don't look like know that no time is wasted and you just keep going because every time, whether it's a really horrible scene or not, whether it's a really awful story or not, you are training yourself and you're getting yourself ready for the story that will be the one for you. Um, And then read. Read, especially in the genre that you want to write in, because like I said, that was my biggest mistake. I was my first book. And that's what agents were telling me. They were just like, hey, you have something, but I can't sell this. And I was like, why can't you sell this? Well, let me look at that. What's that list of of books that are selling? Let me look at that. And I was just like, oh, God, of course you can't sell. I was like, I don't even want you to sell this with my name on it, knowing what people are doing now. So so don't be like me and take like a gap of reading and be like, I loved Harry Potter, so I'll just do a new one. It's like, (laughs) no, see what is resonating like with the audience right now. For the record, I would be happy to read your Harry Potter-esque first book. <laughs> I would, that has too. Not been published. <laughs> I would, too. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Books happen from revision, not from the first draft. No time is wasted. Just keep going. That is such good advice, even if you're not trying to write a book. Yeah, that's just like good life right? advice. Like, just keep going. The whole no time is wasted part, though, that's yeah. a little tricky in everyday life. <laughs> well, you know, as long as they're learning experiences, right? <laughs> how, do, how do you qualify, like, a learning experience, I really, mean, though? I mean, like, any time you f*** it up, man. I was, I was, I spent a good portion of my Sunday throwing, throwing the ball for dogs uh-huh. and watching Jessica Jones. Does that, <laughs> does that count as, like... It's a learning experience. <laughs> Did you learn something? <laughs> You got something out of that. I learned that my body really wanted to sit on the floor and throw <laughs> balls for dogs. <laughs> that, it, that it liked that a lot. Just keep going. <laughs> you got it. Uh. Coming up after the break, we have some really good movie-related homework, which weirdly I have already done, even though I've seen like 10 movies in my life. Nerd. <laughs> You're listening to Nerdette. 
Okay. Do you want to say and now homework? We okay. like to say it really mm-hmm. intensely, like and now. But you okay. can say it however you want, I guess. Okay. <laughs> and now. Homework. Yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. Homework is one of our favorite things because nerds, which is why we like to ask our guests to assign us something to read, watch, listen to, or do. My homework is go see Black Panther. Yes. And if you can't afford to see Black Panther, look online because there's a lot of people who are doing initiatives so that everyone who needs to see the movie can see the movie. Um, I also, I guess, would have to add Wrinkle in Time. Yes. I was like, if you've already seen Black yes. Panther and you've already seen it twice, then go see <laughs> Wrinkle in Time because it's like, you know, see Wrinkle in Time and then you can maybe go see Black Panther again. But yeah, we have to keep... Wait, but you're yeah. not advocating that people go buy tickets to Wrinkle in Time and just hang out in the theater and watch Black Panther while they're No, there. I am not. <laughs> I am not advocating that. That's not what I'm saying. Go see both of them and pay for both of them because then we can get more. Yeah, let's support them. Yeah. Yes. For sure. (laughs) Tomi, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. This This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Jen, have you seen A Wrinkle in Time yet? I haven't seen A Wrinkle in Time yet. That is on my list of things to do this weekend. But I have seen Black Panther. Seen it twice. Okay, perfect. Saw it in 3D. <laughs> saw it in 2D. Saw it in big theater. Saw it in a smaller theater. <laughs> saw it with grown-ups. Saw it with some kids. Oh, nice. I've seen it uh, twice. But now I need to see it one more time. Okay. Um, Because the second time I saw it, I was like, I missed all of that. Ooh. Because in the 3D, ver- like 3D is just really distracting for me. It's yeah. hard for me to focus in. So watching it in 2D, I was actually able to pick out more more details. Interesting. But on my next trip to see Black Panther, my goal is to pluck out all of the lines I want to randomly insert into conversations. Oh, yes. Yes. That's there, an important There are viewing. a few of them already, but <laughs> I need to have like a notebook I can refer to and just be like, ah, colonizer. <laughs> That's the one. That's amazing. I used it today. <laughs> Somebody came to use my computer in my cube. I was like... Colonizer, you're my cue. Wait, was this someone also who happens to be named Colin? Might be. <laughs> Might be. So it worked on two <laughs> levels. So you'll tell us how, how Wrinkle in Time goes? Absolutely. Excellent. All right, the show is produced by Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banizak, and our intern is Stefania Gomez. Jen White, thank you so much for guest hosting this It week. was so much fun. Do you want to tell us, tell the people about Apple Podcasts? So here's what you do. You subscribe to us, Nerdette, on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on NPR One or listen in on the WBEC app because we want you to have options. Yes. And you know what else is super helpful is if you leave us some stars on Apple Podcasts. Many thanks to Chronosaurus for the review. All right. Who do you think Chronosaurus is? I don't know, but I, I want to know. Is this like a time dinosaur? Or a oh dinosaur who really loves cronuts. Or <laughs> could be like, that's his main food source. He's a chronosaurus. That's what he does. That's amazing. <laughs> that's way better. You are correct. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at Nerd at Podcast. I am at Greta M. Johnson on the Twitters. And Jen, what's your handle? I am at Pub. Radio. Beautiful. And we would also love it if you subscribe to our newsletter. Jen, I haven't asked you this yet, but you want to put some fun links in it this week? 
Yeah. The answer is yes. Yes. Good. Oh, now I've got to think of links. I will do that. It's going to be fun. You can sign up for the newsletter at our website, wbez.org slash nerdette. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. <laughs> what have I been doing with my life? Oh, this is what I Welcome. do. Welcome. Okay. Yay. Okay, we're here. We're here. Okay, right, cool. Cool, cool. So you're rolling? Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.